Good afternoon and welcome to the Traveling Stories Podcast. We are excited today um, to have a local youth pastor um, in the Williamston area, uh, Pastor Chris. He is the youth pastor at uh, Calvary Baptist Church. Um, he's been there since 2016, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And um, he is over the Gravity Student Ministries there. Um, just some background on Pastor Chris. He has a Bachelor's of Ministries at AU. Correct. Yes, yes sir. Hey, I'm an AU grad too, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, man, um, I love that. Yeah. So, and then also, uh, Masters of Divinity from Southwest Southeastern Baptist um, Seminary. So we're excited to have him on today. Um, thank you for joining us, Pastor Chris. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. excited to be here and have a good little conversation. I'm looking forward yes, to it. Yes, that's right. That's right. And so I always start off with the same question, and that question is: Do you remember how life was before you met Jesus? I honestly don't. So I, re- I grew up in church my whole life. Um, my, my dad's a minister, grandpa's a minister. So, you know, we were always in the church every time the doors were open. And so just always being there, you know, I got saved at about nine years old. And, you know, at that point in my life, I didn't really, I wasn't into anything bad or anything of that nature. And so like, like in, from my perspective, like, you know, life was good. Everything was good on my end. You know, I was a good kid. You know, I always did the right things. I did what my parents asked. And so I don't have like a dramatic testimony or anything of that nature, but my story kind of evolves. And I think my salvation was kind of a process because I remember that time at nine years old, when uh, I remember our pastor was preaching on revelation. I remember going home that day and I talked to my parents and I was like, I knew I was scared. I didn't want to die and go to hell. And so I talked to him that day about it. And that was like one of the the moments I remember of when God started working on me. And, you know, I said a prayer that day, I ended up getting baptized, but I think God used like a, a seven year period of my life up until I was about 16 before I finally really understood it and surrendered it all. And I know you hear a lot of stories of like, you know, some people know the exact date and the exact time uh, when they got saved and others like myself, I think it was more of a process type thing. Now, you know, I'm not denying that the Lord saved my life that day when I was nine years old, but I do think it was kind of a, a long process of him really working on me to fully understand it and to fully grasp what he was doing with that salvation. And so then at 16, I remember we were at I remember the Thursday at youth camp um, spring break trip in Panama City when that was when it finally all kind of clicked with me. I remember finally in that moment, I understood what it meant to really lay it down and surrender my life to Jesus. And so that was kind of a, a little process of time working. But, you know, you bring up that point that I remember what my life was like before Jesus. I, you know, it's kind of hard. You know, as a young yeah. kid, I don't really remember, you know, a whole lot. And like I said, you know, I would consider myself like a good kid. I didn't really get into anything bad. And so not and from that standpoint, it's kind of tough to say, like, you know, I remember like this crazy life before Jesus or anything. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I'm glad you say that because we have a lot of kids that watch this that have been going to church all their life because we live in the South. And, right. you know, um, we're taught this is, you know, and a lot of times we're taught this is how you act. Even without a relationship with God, we still are taught, you know, this is how you act. Be respectful. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And we don't fully understand it until we actually have that relationship with God that, you know, that this is why we're acting this way. This is why we're doing those things. Um, you said it was about a seven year period where, where God kind of dealt with you and, and helped you grow to where you was. 
during those seven years, um, I know you moved from children's ministries to youth ministries and you, you're a youth pastor also. So, you know, um, those teenage years are the years that we see most kids that say they got saved kind of go away from God. Um, uh, what kept you still uh, ingrained in, uh, you know, in Jesus and still trying to strive to, to be more like him and to know him more? Yeah, and I think that that was just kind of a process of, of growing up in a Christian home, and I was yeah. fortunate to have that. And so, you know, just naturally being there, and I enjoyed going to church. Now, I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit about like my testimony and my call to ministry in a little bit, and that kind of has a little bit to do with uh, the church background. But from that standpoint, like, you know, I was always there. I had good friends at church too, which helped. And so, you know, they always encouraged me and pushed me and just enjoying being there. And I, I think that for a lot of people, like, Maybe if you don't grow up in a Christian home, it can be a little different. But from my standpoint, you know, it was never a bother. I know for some preacher's kids, it's like they feel forced to go to church, but that's never how I felt. Like I always enjoyed being there. And so I always had good youth pastors. I had actually had three youth pastors during my time in student ministry, you know, which was tough to transition each time, but still I had good, good people in my life that encouraged me. And I guess from the standpoint of my dad being the associate pastor there, you know, we were, we were just always there naturally, but you know, it, it was the fact that I enjoyed being there and being with those people and having that community with one another. Definitely. And I think that's really important. And and I tell kids and, and young people this all the time, you know, because I think a lot of times we get to that age, that transition age of children in youth ministries. And if we have any leaders that are watching this, um, that's a very important time because you know how that is. Um, um, a lot of times the kids still want to be in kids ministry. They see the youth ministry and they want to do that stuff, but um, it's, it's a whole new world stepping into that. Um, and, and just to try to get that community around them and, and those people around them to help them grow, uh, I think is an awesome you know experience. And you said that you were on a youth uh, retreat um, down in um, uh, Pan- where, where was it again? I'm Panama sorry. City. Yeah. Panama City. Yeah, Panama City. And that's when you really felt like this was it. This was like a real working of God. Can you tell me how that experience was? Yeah. And so it was kind of like, a, I think, a process that whole week of God working on me. And I remember the speaker, Christian Chapman, you know, all that he talked about. And you know, I don't remember the exact message that that Thursday specifically, but I do remember that day in that moment kind of where it all kind of made sense. I think it was like a culmination of a lot of things coming all together. And then it was just, you know, in that moment when God had been working on me for a while, then it finally clicked. And so, you know, in that moment, you know, I've, I've fully felt the freedom that he offered, you know, in that salvation. And I don't think I had fully felt that before. Prior to that, like when I was nine and that had that experience, like I think it was more of just like a, a get out of hell free card. And that's what I like to call it. And I, I mentioned with our students a lot. It's like, it's so much more than that. But for me, like I understand because I was there too. Like even as a preacher's kid, like I felt that, like, and I, I had that desire. Like I, di- I knew I didn't want to go to hell, but I genuinely didn't know and understand. Like I didn't understand the freedom of God's salvation. And I didn't, I don't think I fully grasped it until I was 16, you know, when I had that moment at that camp. And so from there, you know, it was kind of like a burdens lift off your shoulder. And you, I felt like renewed and had a new passion for God. And I remember we went home and I remember just having the desire to tell so many other people about it, which I never had before. And I think when Jesus really transforms us and we're, when we're truly saved, I think that we should have that passion and desire. Like God gives us that fire to go tell others because it's such good news that we can't share it. So those were kind of some things that I felt like in that moment. Yeah. And, and, I, and like I said, I love that because our youth pastor at Restoration Chapel talks about um, a lot of times we experience God, we experiences the blessings and different things from him, experience 
um, you know, how he's working on other people. But then when we truly have that encounter, like you're talking about, that's when we understand it's more than just not going to hell. It's right. about living a life of servant. Uh, um, I make a joke all the time. It's more than just having to get out of jail free card. It's owning boardwalk and park place, right? Uh, <laughs> on Monopoly, right? Right. Because <laughs> now you know, right? You know that that's, that's a big deal. Um, exactly. So when you got back home, I know it was probably easy for you coming home to a Christian uh, family to kind of tell people about Jesus. Um, but what would you tell those students that come home and, and don't have that kind of backing and supporting that has come to a church service or a retreat or, or just hearing the gospel and just giving their life to God? Um, and, and they come back home and it's like when they come home, it's like, oh, that's OK. Or, or oh, you know, you, you just felt something or some people even said, you know, you didn't feel anything. You didn't. What, what would you tell those students? That's the hard thing, because I think discipleship always starts at the home. And I think that that's a problem for so many students and why we see so many students leave the church, because they don't have that support at home. And, that, and that's the struggle is that we only get you know maybe three to five hours a week with them at church if they're coming every time the doors are open. And so it makes it a tough challenge. And that's the unique challenge I think we face in today's ministry with kids is the fact that so many parents are unwilling to disciple in the home. And they just want to come and drop their kids off at church to babysit. Yeah. And then we throw in the loop of a uh, camp high experience, which a lot of kids experience. And then you're like, well, this is not the reality. Like a relationship with God is so much more than a feeling. And I think that's important for, for us to get across to students is that they have to understand that it's not about like a mountaintop experience because our salvation is, is an eternity. Right. And so we're constantly <clears throat> excusable that we often face is, that these teenagers don't fully grasp that they hear this great camp speaker or whatever. And I can say that too, because I was there, I've experienced that, but then you come back home and it's just life's normal again. So how do we keep that experience going? And I think that starts with a community at church and, and the discipleship of what we do and how we pour into them. And I think that can be tough again, when they're not getting it every day. So it's teaching them how to live for Jesus every day and not just on Sunday and Wednesdays. But then again, I think discipling the parents is, is equally important in all that because they have to understand that their role in the household as a parent, as a, as a spiritual leader, because they are the primary discipler of a, of a kid. And so I think a lot of people fail to grasp that. And that kind of makes it tough on us as ministers to really reach that the next generation. Definitely. And, you know, and it seems like in the last five, 10, maybe 15 podcasts that I've done, that word discipleship keep, keeps coming up. And how important it is because, um, and, and I've talked to many pastors and I'll say this, and, and I think you would agree, the church needs to do a better job of discipling uh, new converts, new people that have come to Jesus. Um, I think we, we get so excited about our Wednesday night, Sunday morning, we, we put all of it into it, uh, make sure everything's perfect, the music goes right, the sound system, the slides, the message is on point. Um, and then a lot of times we forget about the next day because now that they've come to Christ, discipleship, what does that mean to you? I think that it starts with first off, like a personal relationship. You can't disciple someone with, without having a personal relationship with them. And just like the same with us and God, like it begins with a personal relationship with God first off. And so then I think it, it becomes that relationship with, with the other person. So as a leader, like we have to have a good relationship with that person in order to disciple them. Like I can't just 
somebody random that I've never met and start to cycle them, that, that wouldn't really go well. I think you have to build good trust with that person. And from there, then I think it's just becomes a time of like just doing life together and teaching them how to live life for Jesus. I think that's the biggest thing we can do is just do and live life together. It's, they need, people need so much more than just another Bible study. In my opinion, they need to see it and experience it and live it out. And I think we get so caught up in having that, like you mentioned, having the perfect message, having these great Bible studies, but do people really need another one of those? I mean, they're good and all, but they really need us to step up and teach them and show them how to live. And so I think just taking someone alongside you and literally living life with them, because that's how we saw Jesus live ultimately and what he did with the disciples. You know, he modeled this, this discipleship model for us by what he did. Right. And so he took these guys along with him and he taught them how to live this life and what to do. And I think that's kind of where we fail. Like we're so busy. We get caught up in so many things going about our daily lives that we forget that others need, we need to bring others alongside and do with us. And that's one of the best things I would, I remember Dr. Fuller at AU taught us that he, something that's always stuck with me is he said, never do something in ministry alone that you could do with somebody else. And I've always thought about that and I always remember it. You know, is there, can I take a student along to do this or do this? Like, because it could be a really big deal for them to see, you know, what we do as ministers and, and model this discipleship for them. So I think just literally that's, that's probably the most important thing is, is bringing them into our lives and doing life together. That's right. And, and I, every time I think about that, I think about the Bible where Jesus says, come and see, he didn't, try to proclaim anything you know we, we see there's some guys talking to the disciples talking to him he's like just come and see come and live with me come come and see what i'm doing and and through example uh, you know through example there's a lot of things that can happen and and we just need to find the as you said find those people that we can pour into and not try to overwhelm our plate with trying to get 20 or 30 to do it but get you three or four and, and disciple them and then teach them to go out and disciple others and I believe that that would change a lot that we're going through right now. Um, so hey, you talked about getting saved and being discipled. Do you remember when you wanted to get into serving? Well, I ran from it for a while. And so that was this kind of part of the story is that um, I, I knew that I would want to go to AU. Like I remember, actually, I'm, I wanted to go to the, to the University of South Carolina. I was kind of dead set on that because I'm a big Gamecock fan. You know, I was going to go go out all the sporting events like that was kind of my thing. And I want to do something in sports because I, you know, that's kind of one of my big passions in life. And then I remember when I visited, like had my college tour my junior year, it just really wasn't for me at all. Um, and then my, I guess I went to AU. I, did, I kind of reluctantly did that. My youth pastor kind of encouraged me to go visit there because he went there. And I was like, eh, whatever, like, I'll just, I'll go check it out. Like my parents told me to check it out, obviously, because it's a Christian university. I didn't really care to go that day. But then I remember when I went, like I just fell in love with the place. And I knew that that was where I was supposed to be. And so like at that point, I knew where I would be going. I had, you know, a year in advance before I went, like I was already prepared to go to AU. And then I didn't really know what I wanted to study still. Um, and in the back of my mind, like people would, some people would kind of told me that, um, that they thought I could go, they could see me in ministry type of stuff. But I was always like, no, there's no chance. Like I had no desire to do it because of my dad being in ministry, my grandpa being in ministry, et cetera, you know, long family line of it. I, I didn't want to do that for that reason. And so I kind of, I didn't want to be or have kids that were preachers, kids like me basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so, cause I knew what that experience is like. And so I kind of ran from it for a while. And then, you know, I tried to think about and find other things I could do, but nothing ever really made sense or fit. You know, there was, there was nothing really in sports that I could see myself doing. And then I thought about like accounting or something in business until I went and shadowed an accountant and was like, 
man, I absolutely hate this. Yeah. And so, you know, I really had no clue what I wanted to do when I enrolled at AU. So I just went in as undecided major. Um, at that point, that was probably the lowest point of my life. Like my summer after my senior year into early freshman year, I was really struggling. And at any point in my life where I was really living in sin, it was, it was during that time because I was running from God. Yeah. And then at that point, like I knew kind of in the back, like I was taking an intro to Bible class, just and as an elective, like everybody has to take in the, the first year. And then, you know, I, I kind of was feeling that call, but it was feeling stronger, but I was running even further from it. And then it was probably, it took a couple of like crazy turns of events, but it was in October of my freshman year in 2012, when I really surrendered, when I fully surrendered to God, I remember sitting on the back porch of our dorm and I was like just in tears and I called my dad and told him, you know, I felt like that's what God was ultimately calling me to do. And, you know, from that moment, you know, again, it was a freedom. It was a weight lifted off my shoulders. Kind of like I mentioned with the salvation thing, because I'd been running from a while. I'd been living in some sin that I knew I shouldn't have. And so that moment was just kind of a freedom moment where, you know, I, I turned back and ran to God. It was a moment of repentance. And, you know, we see the story of the prodigal son coming home. And that was kind of like my story of turning back and running back home to God. And so then from there, you know, everything kind of just fell into place. I was fortunate to have a lot of great professors that guided me along the way. The classes were phenomenal. I learned a lot. And then um, I was working in my home church as an intern in the youth ministry department for a couple of years before I had the opportunity to get my first youth pastorate. And so Niels Creek Baptist in Belton area actually hired me when I was still 20 years old as a part-time youth pastor. And I had no clue what I was doing, honestly, you know, I was young, I was, you know, I was still learning. And so it was a big learning experience for me. And so that was a great place for me to really learn and to grow. And I spent two and a half years there as a student minister and loved it, had a lot of great students. And then, you know, the opportunity at Calvary came about and that was a, a pretty low moment before I went to Calvary as well, because, you know, there were some things that happened and I was in a pretty low place where I was ready to quit ministry. Honestly, <clears throat> at that point I was, I was looking for an out. I was looking for anything else. I'd interviewed at quite a few churches and, thought that, you know, we were ready to get up and move to Charlotte at one point because we felt like a you know, great interview. I, I preached one night to the students. I thought everything was, was falling into place. And, you know, we, we thought that that was where we would be until, you know, it didn't work out. Yeah. And so at that point I was working multiple jobs because I was part-time still at Neils Creek and it was just very tough on our family. And then some other experience, some other things that happened, it was just, I, I felt like quitting ministry altogether. And so that was a tough point. And then I saw the ad for Calvary actually. And I was going to apply. I was like, like I knew it was a good church. I knew some guys at AU that had interned there when I went to college with them. And so I knew a lot about it. So I was like, I'm going to go apply there. I'm going to give it a shot. And then that day, one of my close buddies in ministry texted me that he had also applied. And I was like, oh man, well, I can't do that now. Yeah. And so I was like, there's no chance I can apply over there. And so I kind of put it off. And then I waited a, probably a month and a half. And then I, he had interviewed and, you know, things didn't work out. And so I just said, you know what, I'm just going to go over there and give it a shot. And, you know, it kind of unfolded. It was just the perfect match because, you know, they were, they were ready to give up. They, they had interviewed a lot of people and they decided they were going to put the search off for a while. And I was ready to give up. I was ready to just find a, a secular job and do whatever at that point. And then, you know, God just had it in his plan and all unfolded in about a two to three week process, which, you know, is very quick for a Southern Baptist church, you know, <laughs> I'd been voted in. And so it was just totally God's plan. And so we've been, been very, very blessed and we're very fortunate to be at Calvary and we've seen a lot of great things happen. And, you know, that this is Calvary is a place that we'll call home for a long time. And I hope to 
to have a family at and to, to grow at. So yeah. that's kind of the call to ministry type story. Yes, definitely. And and what's awesome about it, like I said, you've been there, what, five five years now, 2016, right around five years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I know you mentioned that when you were growing up as a youth minister or when you was growing up in as a youth student, um, that there was multiple youth ministers going in and out, in and out kind of thing. And, um, and I believe, and, and this is the reason why I want to bring this up, is because a lot of times as youth ministers, some people think they're ready for, they're just doing the youth ministry to take that next step into being a pastor. How important it is to be committed to that position? Oh, it's not 100% important because, you know, the average youth minister stays like 18 months at a church, which is insane. Like, you, you think you know students at a year, year and a half, and then you look back now when you're, when you're approaching like five years and you realize, wow, like... Yeah, I can't imagine what the relationships were like back then because, you know, you, you really grow and get to know them so much better through time. I think that's what a lot of people fail to do. Everybody wants to take the next step and to get to the next, next big thing. But sometimes we have to realize the grass isn't always greener. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes God, I mean, God puts us at a place for a reason and he calls us there until he calls us away. But I think too often, I think is, you know, even people in ministry, there's always anxious to take the next, next step and to jump to the next thing. And so, a lot of youth guys want to just be pastors and they're saying they, they, they know they have to take that step to be a pastor because a lot of times you're not going to be a pastor without being a youth minister first. You got to get your feet wet and get experience. And so for a lot of people, it's just a stepping stone, but you know, I've never seen it as that, that it's never been that way for me because that's what I feel like God's called me to is student yeah. ministry. And until he calls me away from that and calls me to a pastor, then that's where I'll be planted and do. And so, you know, a lot of things could happen, but you know, for now, I just feel like God has called me to Calvary to be their youth minister for the foreseeable future and to be in student ministry for the foreseeable future. And kids need stability. It's so important that they have a lot of students don't have stability at home, you know, at school, but a lot of kids struggle to find stability. And so having stability at church is a place that should be safe for them. And so having consistency is obviously key for that. Because for me, I had three youth pastors in seven years. And so, you know, you really don't get that close to them when they're only there for a couple of years and go. So I think that stability is a huge aspect and knowing that if God's called you to it, he's going to call you there until he calls you away. Yeah. And I think that's the difference in a calling and just a job or a stepping stone. Like you said, if it's a calling, then you know where you're supposed to be at that time. I know when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for eight years and I knew that's what I wanted. I didn't look at it as a stepping stone. I looked at it as, Hey, this is what God has called me to at this place at this moment. And it doesn't matter how bad it looks or how good it looks. It's, this is where I'm at, you know, cause as, as youth pastors, I, I know um, one week you might have a high service and next week is low, you know what I'm saying? Or, or, you know, not just numbers. I'm talking about, you know, excitement and everything. Yeah. It might just be high one minute and low the next. And, and, it, and it's difficult. How do you deal with those moments as as ministry is such a roller coaster ride so many times? I know we talked a little bit about before we came on, uh, came on the air about how, you know, with 2020, it's been crazy. It's been up and down, up and down, trying to make decisions. Not everybody's going to be happy. As a youth pastor, how, how, what would you tell other youth pastors on making those decisions? Yeah, and I think that's the important thing is to, to never be too high on the highs and never too low on the lows. You have to keep a level head and stay neutral through it all because it's more than just an emotion or feeling, kind of like with salvation. I mean, you're going to have a lot of good weeks where 
things seem to be going well. And the next week, the kids are absolute terrors when the, you know, the middle schoolers all want to act up and, and it feels like nothing goes right. But you got to remember that, that God still uses that. And that's where we've kind of been, which is hard. We, we, we graduated 20 seniors last year. It's our biggest senior class ever. And so, and then entering a pandemic year, it, it makes it tough to rebuild. But, you know, we've seen more middle schoolers than ever this year. Is it tough? Absolutely, because middle schoolers can be, be tough. I mean, it's just that age, a lot of sixth and seventh graders, that, that's a tough challenge. And so, but then at the same time, I've got to remember, like, some of the kids that I think are, are really bad and that act up all the time, then they remember things. Like, I talked to them, and they remember, like, this whole series for the past month that I was talking about. They can quote everything. I'm just baffled. And you, it makes you realize that, that God's still working even when you don't think so. And those moments when you feel like you preach a bad message, those are the times when I get texts from people afterwards and they say, well, man, that really touched me. Like, I'm, I'm so glad you said this, this, and this, because I really need to hear that. And those, God always uses every circumstance for us, like for his glory, whether you think it's good or bad. And so we have to put our human emotions aside from all of it because ministry is a roller coaster. Like you mentioned, there's going to be hard things. I and mean, we deal with hard things every day. There's going to be great moments, but at the same time, we got to realize that throughout it all, God still got his hand upon it and God's still working no matter what we face or what we do. That's right. And, um, and, and like I said, we just got to be ready for those highs and highs and just not stay on those emotions. I mean, your emotions show what you care about. Don't get me wrong. And, and you know, we, as youth pastors, we should care enough about our students when they're low, we should feel low, but, but we have to understand that that low is not only going to last for a season. It can, continues to get you know high if we you know know our word it can continues to move and so as being a youth pastor um, I know it's unique especially in the times that we're living in um, and I'm not just talking about 2020 I'm just talking about the what young people deal with and what they face every single day um, what what do you think is the biggest uh, besides uh, they need Jesus we understand that and we know that what do you think the biggest issues that young people face today in high school, middle school, what are they facing nowadays? It's just so much temptation and peer pressure with, with everything because everything's so easily accessible. And that's the tough thing is, you know, in the past, like before we had smartphones, you can access everything on or you could get anything, you know, at the snap of a finger, you know, it was harder to, to get into trouble, I think, but now it's just easy access. You know, if a student wants to find something, they can get in trouble with, they can find it pretty easily. And so that's the biggest challenge. I mean, we're, it's sad, the, the culture we face with, with kids drinking at a young age, smoking at a young age, but all that's easily accessible to them. And that's the, the sad reality that we face. And, you know, the same thing with like sexual temptations. And we see them deal with these things younger and younger. And so there's peer pressure from, from their friends to do these things and to, to get involved in those things. And so it's so hard for them to, to understand because that's all they see and all they know. And especially when, they, when they're not well discipled at home, when parents don't have a big influence in their life and their parents, they see these things that their parents are doing, you know, they don't understand why they shouldn't do it, right? If they don't have the best home situation, maybe they, they don't fully understand, you know, what's right and wrong. And that's what we've seen with several kids that we've had come and, you know, I've had a couple of kids get saved and baptized, but they've never been in their church, never been in church in their life until the last six months. So they don't just, they don't understand and they don't know. And so we have to teach them those things. And we have to, and that's another big thing is that I want people to understand that, you know, Jesus and, and the Bible is not just about these long list of rules, right? It, 
we don't have to follow these strict list of rules to get to heaven. And that's a series I just did last month on was the fact that, you know, we look at the story of the lawyer questioning Jesus and in Matthew, and he asked him, you know, well, of all these laws, which one is the greatest? And Jesus says, he says two things. He says, you know, love God and love others. And he said, all that's encompassed under these two things. And so if we just simply love God and we love others, I think, you know, the rest of our life begins to fall into place. And if we love God and love others well, then I think that we won't be as easily fallen into temptation. When we love the things that the world offers us, then we're going to fall into those things. You know, as humans, that's natural. Yeah. Our, our human nature wants sinful things, right? That's what our heart wants. But when we love God first and foremost, then it's easier for the rest of those things to fall into place rather than thinking about trying to, well, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. When we choose to love God first and foremost, then naturally we will fall and we'll fall better under those categories and be able to do those things. Definitely. And, and, and I believe, like you said, now, nowadays in any, at any time, these the young people, not just young people, but everybody, they need to see the love of God through us to them. Um, we live in such a, a, a time of uh, separation that we need to show that love to one another and, and help grow. Now with being on a staff at, at Calvary, I know you're under a lead pastor. And if I'm not mistaken, there's about four or five others on staff there. Um, and so how is it? Because uh, some people are like, I don't know about the whole staff movement. You know, I want to do my thing, that kind of stuff. Um, how is it? What would you tell those people about uh, being good leaders in a staff environment, such as a church environment like that? Yeah, and I think that that's a, a common like misconception is that pe- everybody wants to go plant their own churches because they can be the lead and do their own thing. Like that's kind of the movement that we see. Yeah. But like being on a staff, makes it fun. It gives you accountability and encouragement. And so like we, we all play our roles, right? So we, we don't try to step over other people's roles and take their roles. Like that's not what's important here. Like we're working as a team together to accomplish one goal, like the goal of the church. And that's to make Jesus name known and to make disciples. And I think that's where a lot of people just kind of fall short is that it's hard to be a team player. Sometimes people naturally get on our nerves. I mean, it's just the nature of, of people and humanity, right? Because we're all sinful. But ultimately, when we see it as a team and we see it as a way where we're all working together under one roof to accomplish one goal for one purpose, then I think that makes it easier to work with a team. And especially when it's an encouraging and they keep you accountable. And again, when you're working together, I think that's a major thing. So no, staffs, staffs are great, especially when you have good staff and people that care and have the same mind as you. Um, so I know um, in uh, Calvary has a uh, uh, call it basically like a college and career age uh, ministry also. Um, but we've seen the statistics of after youth ministry, when people graduate, when kids graduate, that's usually when they leave the church or leave the, the body of Christ altogether, not just the church, but they also, um, you know, leave Jesus and leave the body of Christ. Um, what do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that's such a major role um, in our young people today? Yeah, and that's a, a. I wrote my senior thesis on this, so it's kind of a big, big part of you know what I studied and, and why. Because like it matters. Because you mentioned like seventy five percent of people or students leave the church after they graduate high school. The biggest problem and cause is the fact that they don't feel connected to the larger body of the church. You know, we create this bubble for them in student ministry, but then we don't do a good job of placing them in the church or making them feel like a part of the church. And I think that's been the biggest disconnect with the student ministry and the church as a whole. And that's something that we're really working and striving to do, right? We want to place students to serve in the church. So they feel like there's a place. <clears throat> so like they feel like they have a home. And I think that's a, a big struggle for many is that 
one, they may not want to, and two, it may be uncomfortable, but we've been working to use students in worship and the tech team and sound video, all these aspects so that they can begin to feel like they have ownership in the church. It gives them leadership and ownership beyond the student ministry. They have a place and statistics show that if students have a connection with at least six adults in the church, then they're way more likely to stay connected. Right. And so Obviously, one of the biggest issues is when they go off to college, they go, especially if they go further away, it's harder to find a church. Let's say you grew up in Calvary your whole life, 18 years of your life. It can be tough to go in to find somewhere new because that was me. You know, I grew up at Harris Baptist in Greenwood for my whole life. And then I went to AU and I struggled to find a church in Anderson because it was just different. It was uncomfortable. I was used to something. It was a safe environment for me. And then I was in an all new environment. So that's one struggle is that, you know, kids naturally, it's, it's hard for them to, to find some place new. And two, it's just the fact of college, especially can be an easy place to fall into temptation. There's a lot more peer pressures and temptations at school. And then when you don't have that parent accountability, you know, you're not under the roof of your parents where you have some accountability or even at home where you have accountability in the church, it's easier to fall by the wayside and fall into temptations and fall into sin. And then naturally on Sundays, you know, kids just want to sleep in. And that's the thing I see the most with our college students. They just want to sleep in and, and rest and they don't come to church. And so that makes it tough. But the, having those connections within the church is very important. Finding people they connect with their age and college ministry probably is the hardest ministry to do because all those struggles that we mentioned, there's, in my opinion, no ministry harder because, you know, there's mornings where on Sunday morning, we don't have any college kids show up for our class and it's tough, you know, that makes it tough. And then we have the weeks where, where there's 10 college students, it makes it worth it when you get to spend that time with them. But if it's just making sure that they're connected, knowing that the church is their place that they can call home and they have ownership in the church. Yeah. So, and, and with that being said, I know um, I read a stat. I know this is about millennials, and, and millennials are a little older than the college age right now. It's you know, but um, that they want to make an impact, um, and they don't just want to sit there and just sit on a pew or sit on a or listen to a service. They want to make an impact of in life. And uh, I know that's the way I was. I know you, yourself. You, I mean, that's the reason why God called you. You want to make an impact in others. How can we get these young people besides just connecting them to the people inside of the church? How can we get them to serve outside of the church? And that's another tough challenge that we face, but it's a, I think it goes back to that discipleship that we talked about and bringing them alongside and doing life with them. It's giving them opportunities to serve and also to be served. They need to understand what it looks like on both sides. They can see why it's important, right? If, they, if, we, if we serve them well, then they understand what it feels like to be served. So then they're more likely to go serve someone else because they know what it's like. And so I think that just begins with doing it with them. It's not just telling them what to do. It's not saying you need to go and do this, but it's actually going and living out and doing it with them. I think that's the most important aspect. Definitely. And, and like you said, make them feel like this is their church too, or this is their place too. Cause a lot of times we're like, as you said, we put people in bubbles. We put the children's ministry in a bubble, put youth ministry in a bubble. And then we're like adults. And then you're like, okay, just go. And it doesn't work that way. Right. <laughs> there needs to be some just, you know, um, you don't go from uh, college to, uh, you know, uh, high CEO job. You have to work your way up to that. Same way with church. We got to make sure we get to that point and get to that place. Now, as ministering in, um, you said, I mean, here in Williamston, you know, there's 4,000 people, um, maybe take a few, you know, <laughs> but there's 4,000 or so people. And uh, if you look, there's a church on every corner, <laughs> but we still see that there's a lot of people that don't know who Jesus what, who Jesus is. 
Um, what what do you what is your response to that? How as churches can we come together and unite together to reach people that are far from Christ? And that's that's one of the major issues in the local church. I think nobody wants to work together. Everybody wants to do their own thing because they're afraid. Oh man, if we do this big youth event, my youth might like that youth pastor more, and and we'll go over there. And it's kind of the same boat. And you know, it's, it's a struggle sometimes because. A lot of times people feel inferior to like Calvary is one of the bigger churches in Williamston. And, you know, sometimes people don't want to work with me for that reason. I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm not, we need to, we're all on the same team, right? Our, Our end goal is all the same. And it doesn't matter how many youth you have come or how many people we have come, but like our goal should be to do things to reach people with the gospel. Right. And if every church is separated and arguing, right, they want to be the best. They want to do these things on their own. Then, what does that look like to people on the outside that don't know church, right? If they see a united body of Christ of people from every church, different denominations, all working together, I think they're more apt to join us because they see a true team spirit involved. And I think that's the struggle that we face again, is that just everybody wants to do their own thing. Everybody wants to be the best, but that shouldn't be our mindset. Our mindset shouldn't be number driven. It should be gospel driven. It doesn't matter how many students or, or people you have show up on your Sunday morning service. It should be about, seeing those people come to know Jesus and then discipling them. And I think that's the biggest misconception in ministry is people always want to ask, well, what's your attendance like? How many students do you have? And I hate getting those questions. That's always the first question you get when you meet somebody usually. And I want to tell them like, it doesn't matter. Like, why does this matter so much? You know, I think that if we're doing our jobs well and we're reaching people for the gospel, then, then those things all play itself out. Right. And so coming together as one team and working together for the gospel purpose. That's what Jesus created the church for, you know, obviously there's, we saw multiple local churches in his time based on like, obviously low geographic location and stuff, but there's people right here that in Williamston that need to know Jesus then that don't. But I think a lot of times we get so focused on going, we forget to take the great command for what it is as we are going, right? As we go about our daily lives, make disciples, we literally take it as just go. And so we go on mission trips, we go to these places, but we've got people dying right here that need to know Jesus that we're failing to reach. And so I think that's so important to, to realize, understand, like even in a small town where you think everybody goes to church, I would dare say that over half of Williamston's not in church on a Sunday morning. Yeah, I would agree. And like you said, it's, it's time. And I think, I don't know about if it's a younger generation thing or, or a thing, but we, more of the younger people that I talk to, it's time that churches start connecting together instead of pulling apart. Um, even though we have our differences, like I said, I'm from, you know, the Church of God of Prophecy, a Pentecostal background, and you're from the Baptist church, but still we have our differences, but it's the same purpose, the same goal. We, we still believe that Jesus Christ die for our sins and rose again and and he's our salvation he's you know the love that that he puts in our heart and and if we could come together and stop putting our differences in front of us and start putting our common goal together then i could see you know revivals happen and, and move a move of god happen in a town such as williamston that could spread further and further i mean you think about um you know the the guys in the upper room they had to come one accord and when they came one accord then god began to move and, and you know when it could be a small town like Williams, then come one accord and god began to move and we could see it pour out uh further as we go um so with that being said we always do a word association game um towards the middle of our towards the end of our podcast and it's always fun everybody kind of looks so 
when when I just say this word, just give me your first thought, you know, a little mini sermon, I guess, that goes with it. Um, so salvation, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The cross. The cross. <laughs> Would you like to explain a little bit? Uh, I mean, basically just, I mean, Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. He took a sinner's death, like the worst punishment of the time for, for humanity, right? So the cross is, gives us salvation, gives us life because of Jesus' death, right? He poured out his blood for our sins. It, it covers our sins, washes our sins away. And then we know, obviously, that's not the end of the story, though. I mean, we know that he was put in the grave, but he beat death and he's still alive. He's seated at the right hand of God today. And so I just associate the cross with salvation in that way. Definitely. Um, the word of God. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's pretty simple, right? Yeah, it's very simple, right? Um, praying. Talking to God. Talking to God. Word, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, preaching. Proclaiming the gospel. Yes, definitely. Um, uh, reaching, outreaching. One word for... Uh, I kind of the same boat, like making Jesus name known. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I, f- I feel like a lot of times, like you said earlier, when we think of outreach, we think about mission work of going overseas or, or sending stuff overseas or things. Right. But, um, we also need to be uh, community minded too, where we see the community that we're in and try to see the needs that we're, we're, we're going around. And, and as you know, um, your church and my church is right near the mill hill of Williamston. Mm-hmm. And there's so many needs that are out there. I mean, if we would just open up our eyes and see those needs so that we could reach those that are far from Christ, you know, outreach is more than just going overseas. Um, uh, uh, Music and worship. Uh, Giving God praise. Technology and worship. Enabling others to know about Jesus. It's perfect. Yes, I think it's uh, especially. I asked somebody the other day, "What would what would happen if twenty years ago we had the pandemic?" Um, <laughs> trust me, I know we would figure it out, but right, uh, it was much easier just to go online, or you know, you know what I'm saying? It was exactly. Like, boom! Could you imagine where we'd be twenty years? Everybody be on the telephone and just talking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that'd be crazy. I can't even imagine. <laughs> so yeah, the next generation fully part of the church. And I think that's a problem because we associate them as a separate entity. And we talked about that, the bubbles in the church, but the next generation is the church today, just as much as anyone else. Do you see the next generation as a um, potential or do you see it as a lot of work needs to be done? I mean, I think that uh, there's definitely potential. I mean, the next generation is ready to serve, ready to jump in and ready to do their thing, but they just need to be enabled and allowed. I think so often we just close them off to these ideas that they can't do certain things because of their age, but I think they're more than ready to jump in and, and do their thing and serve, but we have to allow them to do that. Even, even allow them to fail in ways. I mean, they're kids, you know, even adults mess up. Students are going to mess up too, but we've got to allow people to fail so they can grow. Yeah, and I, um, I know I talked to uh, another one of the local youth pastors, uh, Brady, uh, over at uh, Hillcrest, Pastor mm-hmm. Brady over at Hillcrest, and he was telling me that, you know, we we look at the age of pastors now, um, of senior pastors, just you know, and and it seems like they're getting older, not any younger. Right. Um, and, and and I asked him the same question about the next generation. He told me if we would just give them a chance, 
um, we could see a lot of things happen over the next 10, 15, 20 years um, of God really moving. Do you agree with that? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if there's no opportunity out there, they're not going to serve. Exactly. So, you know, it's time for us to give them the opportunity for that next step. Um, uh, another uh, word association, um, uh, 2020. Uh, <laughs> horrible, but eye-opening. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. What about 2021? What do you think about 2021? Uh, a, a new hope for renewal. I, I hope it'll be like a spiritual awakening, right? As we come out of, hopefully come out of a pandemic, people, and sometimes I think it takes crisis for people to awaken and we see revival. I mean, you look at what happened after 9-11. And so you just wonder if, as we see things get back to normal, will people come back to the church? And I hope that God will really use that. Definitely. And and as churches, we need to prepare for that and be ready for hurting people. Um, And and just because, like you said earlier, there's a lot of hurting people out here right now. Yeah. Um, Due to jobs or family or sickness or just being all out of whack. I mean, um, we was talking about earlier about school, you know, schools are all out of whack and, and, you know, don't know if you're going to be virtual or if you're going to be on there or, you know, what's going on. So we need to be ready for that and try to be consistent for people and be there for people and disciple people, as you said. Um, well, the last question I always like to ask is if you just preached or you just spoke to somebody and you shared the gospel with them, what is the first thing that you would tell them, the first step that they need to do in their life after accepting Jesus? One, it'd be get plugged in. I mean, it's important to find someone to mentor you and to teach you because I think that's, you mentioned it earlier. It's what we fail to do the most is that, you know, we get pumped to everybody when they, somebody gets saved and baptized, but then we don't do anything after that. Just like hoorah. And then, well, here you go. Like here's life. And we, we fail to really teach them. So giving that person, someone to do life with discipleship is what we fail at often, but they need someone to teach them because how are they going to know if they don't, if they're never taught. Right. And so we have to be good teachers and teach them what a Christian life looks like, especially if it's someone that never grew up in church, someone that doesn't understand church, they're not going to get it. Right. And so we have to come alongside them and do life with them. And I think that's the most important thing is to get them plugged in with somebody they relate to and they can do life with. Right. And, and I like what you said, because it's not always just a youth pastor or pastor, um, don't get me wrong. As youth pastors and pastors, we need to plug into those people, but it don't need to be just about us. We need to plug them into those that have walked this walk, you know, even more experienced people than we are, because there's always somebody there that has gone through things that we have never gone through ourselves. Um, and, and again, I, I like the, the stat you said about, you know, knowing six people. Um it would be great if we would help find them those six people. I mean, help yeah. find those six people that can help them grow and be able to help them grow wherever they're planted at. Um, and so I, I truly agree with that a hundred percent plug them in, find them the right people because there's too many people walking around that says, Oh, I'm saved, but they have never been discipled to that point to know what salvation right. truly is. And, and we wonder why there's a falling away when the, when the rains come, the storms come, uh, it knocks down the house because there's no foundation. Um, exactly. Just that, it, hey, I was saved, but yeah, then life comes and hits you and it messes you all up. Uh, well, I want to thank you so much, Pastor Chris, for joining us today. As again, he's the youth pastor at Calvary Baptist Church and um, over Gravity Student Ministries. 
Um, they meet every Wednesday night, correct? At yep. Wednesday 6:30. night, 6.30. 6.30, yeah. Mm-hmm. 6.30, so, and then every Sunday morning, I think y'all are two services now Sunday morning, correct? Just We have Sunday school at, at 10 and then worship at 11. Worship at 11, yes. And I will, um, you can find out all the information at their website or on their Facebook page, and I'll link all that below. Um, they're in the middle of Williamston at the main red light of Williamston. <laughs> um, if you go through Williamston, you're looking for that main red light. They're right there. So, <laughs> um, but yes, I want to thank you so much for joining us, Pastor Chris. Any uh, final words to our listeners? I just want to say thank you again for having me. It was an honor to speak with you. I hope that this was encouraging to someone listening, that you'll be able to, to grasp something that you'll be encouraged by. Maybe God uses this in some way. And so I know God's been using this podcast as, you know, you mentioned we have haven't been able to meet as often and bring in people to give testimonies in person. So hopefully this is a way to, to shine Jesus light and get the word out there to others. Definitely. Definitely. And um, you can, uh, like I said, follow them. I'll put all the information in the podcast notes and also on the bottom of the screen here as you're watching, but uh, we would love for you to go and visit them. If you're not at restoration chapter, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just go back and forth. Right. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But no, we would love for you to go visit them and and be a part. And uh, trust me, I'm I'm hoping after this, maybe we can start doing some things together too. And of course, really reaching out, but uh, uh, again, please go visit them. Just drop them a hey on Facebook or just go by and visit their church and, and tell them that you heard them on the Traveling Stories podcast. And for you that want to hear more Traveling Stories, you can go to our Facebook page or Twitter page or our YouTube page. You can uh, see uh, most of these videos. We're also on TikTok. You can follow us on TikTok, get short clips, that kind of thing. Um, and if you want to listen to us, you can listen to us on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts on Anchor Podcast, and about anywhere you can find podcasts, you can listen to us and search Traveling Stories. But thank you again, Pastor Chris. And I always like to say, now that you've heard our story, go and tell your story and make your story so people that are far from Christ can find out how great and awesome our God is and how amazing how He changed our lives. And so thank you so much for listening. We give Him all the glory, God, all the glory. And we love each and every one of you, and we hope to hear you talk to you soon on the Traveling Sports Podcast.